Speaking of love, that's what we've been talking about all month. Talking about how love is the greatest command. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Last week we talked about how love is the goal, the telos, the aim, the touchdown of all Christian teaching. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. That's what all Christian teaching is supposed to be trying to accomplish, is to create a community of love. And I I haven't talked to each and every one of you, but I'll tell you, this month has impacted me, and I have had so many conversations with members of this congregation that have been affected and impacted by what God's Word has to say on the subject of love. I, I've had tears brought to my eyes this week. I wish I could share all the stories with you, but, but I've had tears brought to my eyes by how people are taking what God's Word says and applying it in their life in very difficult ways to say, if God wants me to love everybody, then that means I'm going to have to love that person and I'm going to get started right now. And that, man, that amazes me. It humbles me. It excites me. It thrills me to watch Christian people, teenagers, middle-aged, older people, take God's word and say, I'm going to get busy doing what God would have me to do. Now, I want to circle back to something that we said in the very beginning as we started this series that we tend to think of love as just one of those things on a long list of to-do items, right? Go to church, read your Bible, say your prayers, don't get drunk, don't do drugs, don't sleep around, don't do these things, do these things, love people, right? We tend to think of love as just one of the many things that God tells us to do. And then when we examine our lives and we examine God's Word and we say, you know what? I'm not... I'm not loving my brothers and sisters in Christ the way I should. I I resent them. I I hold bitterness towards them. I'm I'm rude and snippy sometimes. I'm I'm rude to my family and I'm, I'm impatient with them or my neighbor or the people that don't like me and have done wrong to me. I have a hard time letting go of that resentment and bitterness. And so our conclusion is I'm just going to try harder. Church, church we've, we've got to realize that that's not really how the Bible talks about being better at loving people. Here's what I want us to get in our mind throughout this whole series is that when you look at the New Testament, what the New Testament seems to be teaching is that love is the natural result of belonging to God. Let me say that again. Love is the natural The more I thought about that word this week, I thought, well, that's not even really a good word. It's more like supernatural. Love is the supernatural result of belonging to God. Isn't that what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5? He says, listen, if you walk in the Spirit, then your life will produce by the Spirit love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't need to try harder because we certainly do need to try harder, but that's not the way the New Testament talks about becoming more loving. If you're going to become better at loving and loving in a divine way, in the way God would have us to love, then the answer is 
to walk in the Spirit, to have your heart and your mind converted, as we talked about last week, to be born again, to belong to God's family. The, the lack of love in my life and the lack of love in your life, when you see it and you recognize it and you say, I need to repent of that and I need to do something different, it's a symptom of a problem. It's a symptom of a problem. So this morning we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, and thanks a lot, John, that's going to be stuck in my head all week, that song, but I love it. I, I love that, don't you? I love when God's Word gets stuck in our heads and in our hearts, and that we're repeating it all throughout the week. That's good. So in 1 John, John, one of the themes of the book of 1 John is how do you know, how do you confidently know that you belong to God? How can a person confidently know that he or she belongs to God? That's a good question, isn't it? How do I know? How do I really know? How do I have confidence? How do I have assuredness that I belong to God? That I'm one of God's children. I'm one of God's kids. I'm part of God's family. He loves me. He protects me. He's saving me. I have an eternal home with Him. How can you know that for sure? And so as we walk through the book of John, he mentions these things over and over again, kind of in a cycle throughout the book. And again, I encourage you to go read it. Don't take my word for it. It won't take you but a few minutes. Read through 1 John and look at how he says these things. Number one, you know that you confidently belong to God because you confess Christ. Those who confess Christ, who declare their allegiance and their belief that Jesus is the Messiah. God's anointed one. You know you belong to God because you confess Christ. Number two, you stop making a practice of sin. That if you belong to God, you don't make a practice of sin. Now He says, listen, I I know that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus continues to wash away our sins. But we don't make a practice of sin. If you make a practice of sin then you're you're not living as God's children. So you confess Christ, you stop making a practice of sin. Instead, you practice righteousness, number three. You listen to the apostles and their teaching. If you belong to God, then you listen to the apostles. If you refuse to listen to the apostles, then you don't belong to God, John says. Number five, and this is where I want us to obviously focus, you love your Christian brothers and sisters. So, in the epistle of John, in this letter, love isn't just something you need to work harder on. Love is the proof that you belong to God. Okay? Love is something that you can look at in your life. One of the things, not the only thing, but it's one of the things that you can look at and you say, this is proof that I am God's child, that I belong to God. Now, of course, the inverse is true as well, and that's where John spends a lot of his time. We'll think about that in the end, but let's kind of walk through the book of 1 John and see how John develops this idea that if you belong to God, if you're God's children, then you will love the church. Did you hear what I said? You hear what John's saying? If you belong to God, if you are God's child, then you will love 
your brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say anything about whether or not they're lovable or whether or not it's easy to get along with them or, or whether or not it's hard to get along with them. But John says, listen, if you truly belong to God, then you will. The result of belonging to God will be that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at First John chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see? You see, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence that we're in the light. Hating our brothers and sisters in Christ is evidence that we walk in darkness and we don't even know what it is that we're doing because we can't see because we're walking in darkness. Look at the next, or next chapter, chapter 3 and verse 10. John says, by this, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil, right? By this, it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. John doesn't have any gray area, right? There's either your children of God or you're the children of the devil, you're either darkness or you're light. You either love or you hate. In fact, you either love or you're a murderer, right? I mean, John lays it out through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lays it out for us to understand there is no middle of the road here, right? And I, I got to look at myself and say, what, what does my love say about me? What does my love specifically here what does my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ, what does it say about me? What does my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ say about my relationship to God? What does my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ say about my spirituality? What does it say about my connectedness to Jesus and the Spirit? By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see what John is saying? He's saying that, that this is one of the evidences, not the only evidence, but it is one of the evidences of whether or not you are actually a child of God. Right? And if we can go through those things and we can say, I confess my allegiance and my belief in Jesus. I don't make a practice of sin. I make a practice of righteousness. And I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we can have some confidence, right? But if the other is true, if we do not love our brothers and sisters in Christ, look at verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one. What does that mean? He was of the evil one. Well, go back to verse 10, right? He was a child of the devil, right? That's what John is saying. The reason Cain hated his brother Abel and murdered him was that he wasn't good. He was bad. He was a child of the devil. It's evident because he murdered his brother. We shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life 
Isn't that what we're talking about? We know, we, we can confidently know that we have passed out of death into life. How? Because we love the brothers. I didn't say that, John, but the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said that, right? This is God's word. God says this. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, 1 John chapter 4, our primary text. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. You see how we've kind of traced these things through the Bible the last few weeks? That love is the greatest command, that love is the fulfilling of the law, that love is the goal, the telos of Christian teaching, that love is from God. Well, why should I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because love is from God. That's why. That's why. Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, that's kind of a weird phrase, born of God. We don't really talk that way, do we, when we're talking about our parents? When you say, I was born of Tony McAdams, I was born of Weldon McAdams. That's my parents' names, by the way. Uh, I, don't, I don't say that, right? I, I, I'm, I don't even really say they fathered me or they mothered me, right? But that's what it literally means. They gave birth to me. So what's John saying here? He says, whoever loves... And specifically, we're talking about loving the church, but although the New Testament has a whole lot to say about loving your neighbor and loving your enemy, whoever loves has been born of God. In other words, God has fathered those who love. Love and love for the brotherhood, love for those stubborn, hard-to-get-along-with Christians that we dwell with, right? Love for them. And loving them. And again, this kind of agape love isn't talking about a, a warm, fuzzy feeling you feel in your heart. It's not about, it's not about like you love a cheeseburger or you love the cowboys. It's not that kind of love. It's this devotion to. This willingness like Jesus to give up your life for someone. Yeah. Yeah. It, do you see how this works? Do, do you see how in the first century the greatest challenge was that here you had a bunch of Jewish Christians, people that for generations had been followers of Yahweh, had, had loved and been devoted to, or at least in word, had loved and been devoted to the God of heaven. And then all of a sudden, God says, hey, these Gentiles are going to join your ranks. They're going to be grafted into the tree. you got to learn how to love them and get along with them. Yeah, they eat pigs. Yep, I know, it's gross, huh? But they eat pigs. They like bacon. And and we're going to bring them into the family. And yet, they're not circumcised. And they're not going to keep the Sabbath like you do. And all of these things. you got to learn how to be one family. One family. Based on your shared love of God, your shared understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, your shared faith In Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior, you've got to learn to love one another. And you're loving each other in spite of racial differences, 
in spite of cultural differences, in spite of political leanings, in spite of all of these things, your love for each other is evidence that you have been born of God. It's evidence that God has fathered you. Because it's supernatural, isn't it? It's amazing. I mean, you can get people that look alike and vote alike and think alike and act alike to love each other and get along. But to bring together a group of diverse people who look different and think different and vote different and have different cultures and backgrounds and eat different foods and wear different clothes, to bring them all together and say, I would... I would die for you. I would lay down my very life for you. I would give up any right. I would give up any privilege. I would give up any pleasure for you. It's evidence that God has fathered you. It's evidence that you're God's kid. That's one of the marks of being God's people. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You you see how John's reasoning is? He says, God is love. Therefore, everyone that loves has been fathered by God. But whoever does not love has not been fathered by God and doesn't know God. Why? Because God is love. Love is a family trait, right? I mean, you know some of those families. I mean, there's some kids that you look at them and you're like, well, I know whose brother you are. I know whose sister you are. I know who your dad is. I know who your mom is. Why? Because they look alike. They, they share a family trait. Because I've never met anybody that, that has that trait, but you have that trait. I must know who your parents are. And John says, if you don't have the trait of loving the brotherhood, you have not been fathered by God. Wow. I mean, church, should we realize the significance of that statement? And to think through what Paul says in the same vein, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't rude, it isn't self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs, it believes all, it trusts all, it hopes all, it endures, love never fails. And Paul says before that, if if you can speak in tongues and you give all your money to the poor and you offer your body to be burned and you don't have love, it's meaningless. It's worthless. Because John says, listen, if you don't love each other, then it's evident that you haven't been fathered by God. Man, that's humbling, isn't it? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His Son, His only Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. In this, in this, in the gospel is love. This is how we know love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this love of God was made manifest among us. See, God made love tangible and real, visible, that you could put your hands on it and you could, you could sit with Him and you could eat with Him. In the first chapter of 1 John, John puts it this way. He says that Jesus is the everlasting life. 
And this everlasting life, we test about, testify to it because we were with him. We touched him. We saw him. We experienced him. And here he says that in Jesus, the love of God was made manifest. He was made tangible. He stretched out his arms and he bled and he died so that you and I could see what love looks like. It says, this is, this is how you know. This is how you know that you're God's kids. If you're willing to give up your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just your American brothers and sisters in Christ, but your brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. Church, do we love like that? Because everything hangs in the balance. You get everything else right, right? You can sing right, and you can pray right, and you can come to church on Sunday right, and you can, you can have all the right words and all the right, the right liturgy, all the right mannerisms, and go through all the right things, and you can check everything off a list. If you don't have love, it's meaningless. It's worthless, right? This is where the rubber meets the road. And John says, listen, This is the evidence of whether or not you've been fathered by God. And God showed us what love looks like. He made it real and tangible. It's not philosophical. It's not theoretical. It's real. You know what love looks like. Love lays down its life for his brothers. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God... If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, that doesn't mean we have a perfect love or that you and I will ever have a perfect love. But that word perfected comes from the same root word that we talked about last week, telos. God's love reaches its goal, reaches its purpose when you and I love each other. When we love one another, God's love reaches its goal. It's perfected in us. And so the question, again, is what does your love say about you? What does your love say about you? What does your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ Say about your relationship to God. Has God fathered you? What does your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ say about your understanding of what Jesus has done for you? Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk. That's good, isn't it? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We say talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. It's one thing to say, I love you. I love you. Good morning. I love you. Good morning. I hope you're doing well. And shake each other's hands and give each other hugs and say all kinds of nice flattery things to each other. But talk is cheap. Let's not love just in word or talk. It's good to say I love you. Your your spouse needs to hear that every now and then, right? Not just if you change your mind. You let them know every now and then. Love each other. Say it. But live it out. Let's not love in just word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
this horrible hurricane that's going on in Houston and are all around South Texas, it's going to give us an opportunity, isn't it, to show our brothers and sisters down there how much we love them in deed and in truth. It's going to give us the opportunity to make some sacrifices on their behalf to share with them what we have. Why do we do that? Because God is love and He's our Father and we've been born of God and so we love each other. But it's not just when a a tragedy strikes. There's opportunities all around us to show each other, I love you and I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Not because you live in the same place I do. Not because you look like I do. Not because you think like I do or vote like I do. I'm going to... I'm going to sacrifice for you and do good for you. Why? Because God is love. And He fathered me. And He gave His only Son so that I could live. Jesus laid down His life so that I could have what I couldn't have on my own. And and church, do you see why I say it's not just about trying harder? It's not just about working harder. you, you, You ought to work harder. You ought to try harder. But, but it's like, I keep thinking about an apple orchard, right? An apple orchard doesn't like, I, I don't suppose if apple trees could talk, the apple trees wouldn't get together and say, now listen guys, yeah, last season, I mean, you had some pears in here and you need to get rid of those pears. I mean, stop, stop growing pears, right? I mean, stop growing oranges. We're apple trees. We need to grow apples. They don't give each other a pep talk. Healthy apple trees produce apples. That's what they do. Healthy Christians, produce love. That's what we do. Why? Because God is love. And when God fathers His children, when God demonstrates His love for us through the death of Jesus, when we're connected in the Spirit, we love one another. And so sometimes if we're not loving the way we ought to, we need to be born again. That's where it starts. Be born again by the water and the Spirit, a new birth. Some of y'all haven't done that yet. And I want to encourage you, be born again. Or maybe, maybe you were baptized and you started that life, but you got off track somewhere along the way. And you've been trying, working really hard to be more loving. The answer is let go. Surrender your life to the Lord. Let Him produce in you the love that He wants to see in you. You cannot manufacture it on your own. Love is the evidence that God's seed has been planted in you, that God has fathered you, that you are connected in the Spirit to God, that Jesus is your light and your life. And if those things are true, love will be the result. Some of us need to rededicate our lives to the Lord or dedicate our lives for the first time to the Lord. If we can help you do that, We want to help you do that. We are all on this path, on this journey together, and every single one of us have gotten off track at one point or another. And we need to encourage each other and pray for each other. There's a room in the back. Elders would love to pray with you after services. You could come forward. This is your family. We love you. We want to get there together. We want to be the loving community that Jesus wants us to be. I want you to come forward as we stand and sing.